Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we begin a new study of the Gospel of Mark. If you'd like to dive into more resources like this one, check out our resources library at thevillagechapel.com resources. Our team carefully curates a variety of articles, books, and video content. We pray that these tools will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Hey, so glad you've joined me on this particular day because we're beginning a brand new book study and I'm very excited about it. Uh, We're going to look at the second book in the New Testament. It's called Mark's Gospel or the Gospel According to Mark, depending on which English Bible you happen to have. I love studying books of the Bible, as most of you probably know by now. There are 66 books in our English Bibles, and we have all kinds of different literary styles. Each of those books have their own literary style. You might have poetry, you might have historical narrative, you might have prophetic literature, you might have wisdom literature. So there's all kinds of different literary styles. And I think the first thing we do as we begin a new book study is to ask ourselves, what is the literary genre of this particular book? When you read all the way through Mark or Matthew or Luke or John, the four Gospels, you feel, you get the sense that what you're reading is uh, eyewitness or near eyewitness accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. So you have all of that, but the idea of a gospel is that it's good news. And with the four Gospels, we get four different perspectives, four different takes, four different experiences, if you will, with the same subject, which is Jesus himself. And uh, here in Mark's Gospel, uh, most of your English Bibles will have uh, uh, demarcated 16 different chapters. And there are, in most of our English Bibles, 600 and 78 verses to Mark's gospel. We'll be taking 15 to 20 minutes a day, Monday through Friday, uh, for uh, the foreseeable future. And so I'm really excited about walking through Mark's gospel with you, knowing that we're reading something that is going to help us see or get to know Jesus better. Uh, When was Mark's gospel written? Well, it's likely, a lot of scholars think it is the earliest of the four gospel accounts. Um, It does seem to many Bible scholars that in their gospel accounts, both Matthew and Luke borrow a bit from Mark's gospel. Additionally, there's no mention at all of the Jewish and Roman war, which uh, occurred between 66 and 70 AD. And something that significant you would think would be mentioned if it had been written after that time period, because you have the fall of Jerusalem itself, you have the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and those are significant events. And if uh, somebody's writing all about Jesus and all about his travels through Uh, Israel and um, uh, healing people, teaching, all that sort of thing, you would think if it had been written later or after the Jewish-Roman War, that would have been mentioned. So we're going to speculate, but we're going to say that Mark is probably written sometime in the early 60s, maybe the mid-60s at the latest. Uh, Who's our author? Well, of course, we call it Mark's 
gospel. Uh, Many Bible teachers think, though, that uh, in writing it, Mark was at the very least influenced, if not completely informed, by Peter, uh, one of the very closest of Jesus' disciples. Now, Peter once referred to Mark as his son in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 13. And much of Mark has what can really only be considered to be eyewitness uh, quality to it. Uh, there was no closer human eyewitness to the life teaching and ministry of Jesus than the disciple, later apostle, Peter. And so I think those connections, the speculation of those connections is probably good. Um, in terms of the intended readership of Mark's gospel, because each of the four gospels seem to have an audience, if you will. Mark was probably written with a Roman audience in mind. Uh, he uses 10 Latinisms uh, and has fewer references to or quotes from the Old Testament than the other gospels. So Latin, of course, being the official language of the Roman uh, Empire, uh, even though the culture was Greek and many people spoke uh, Greek. And uh, of course, from a Jewish standpoint, they would speak Hebrew or Aramaic. So you get a lot of languages going around, but that Mark, as he writes, would use these Latinisms, uh, 10 of them especially. And you can look that up further. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but Mark seems to take some time to explain Jewish customs for his readers, which you would think you would do if you're writing with a Roman audience in mind. Um, they, a Roman audience would not have known about the Jewish customs and or traditions. He makes, uh, Mark makes no formal reference to the Old Testament Jewish law, while Matthew does so eight times, Luke does nine times, and John does 15 times. So again, the idea being those are, you know, sort of uh, indirect um, sort of deductions that were, you know, reasons that we see that we think, you know, that's probably a Roman audience in mind. Um, in terms of the style, I love Mark's gospel for its style. It's very fast-paced. Uh, it's quick, full of sharp turns in the storylines. Mark has almost a breathless feel to it. He writes in the present tense most of the time and uses the word immediately 40 times, at least 40 times, uh, 10 times in chapter one alone. So it's like immediately, immediately, immediately. I mean, it's, it's like He's, he's just turning left, right, left, right, and, and inside out and all that. sort. it's like a squirrel out on a branch on a tree when it's running really fast this way and turns inside out and turns back the other way uh, immediately. And Mark is, uh, is great for people like me that have a little bit of a short attention span. Mark focuses on the deeds of Jesus more than the teachings or words of Jesus as well. Um, including just one of uh, the longer sermons of Jesus, where it seems the other gospel accounts uh, spend a little bit more of the volume of their text on Jesus' teaching. So lots of action in Mark's gospel, lots of things that Jesus is doing and people he's engaging with, talking to and or healing. Um, so another thing that we think about when we talk about the the introduction to Mark's gospel might be to ask, what is the purpose of Mark's gospel? And I'm going to continue over and over again. I'm going to remind as I keep bringing us back to this as we read through and study through Mark together. He seems to be asking and answering two questions. One, who is Jesus? 
he wants us to get to know Jesus. And uh, as someone who clearly had a close proximity to Jesus, um, rather than somebody who 2,000 years later writes a fiction book about Jesus or writes a movie about Jesus, um, somebody who is an eyewitness, somebody who walked the dusty roads with Jesus, somebody who sat around the campfires with Jesus, somebody who, uh, if it's Peter feeding Mark information, even if Mark himself wasn't walking the dusty roads with Jesus, um, Mark is giving us really, really close uh, eyewitness, earwitness type account of this person, Jesus, this historical person, Jesus. So I think that's that's the first of the two major themes. Who is Jesus? The second theme to me seems to be you watch all the interactions as you read through the 16 chapters of Mark. And what you see over and over again is how people respond to Jesus. And it's almost as if Mark, in writing and asking the first question, who is Jesus? Let me tell you who he is. It's almost as if he's following that up with a well, how should you respond to Jesus? And then he's showing us how different people respond to Jesus. And so today, just going to read one verse because it's jam-packed and uh, cuts right to the chase, uh, asking that, or sort of answering, actually, I should say that first question, who is Jesus? How much can be said about Jesus in one verse? Well, let's let Mark show us just how that can be done. If uh, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to it, Mark 1, verse 1. If you don't have one, it's going to be really easy. I'll just read it simple and slow to you. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, we'll, we'll stop right there. There's, there's a lot to unpack. And uh, as you think about what you think about Jesus and how you have come to know Jesus. And as I think about that, every time I read that verse, and uh, and I've taught through Mark several different times, but it is chock full of information about Jesus. First, Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark intends to start at the top to give a significant summary of Jesus. Interestingly, though, he's not one of the four, of the four gospels. Really, just two. They give us the birth narratives: Matthew and Luke. Mark is going to cut right to the chase with Jesus in the wilderness, the baptism of Jesus, and that sort of thing. He's cutting right to the sort of ministerial uh, aspects of Jesus' life, and so he starts with the beginning of the gospel, the the good news. And uh, not the list of rules that, that, you know, Jesus didn't come to sort of present us with this big long scroll of rules to follow. No, it's a gospel. It's good news. That's what gospel means. And it's, it's not uh, a book that's all about pressing you or me into a corner um, uh, by browbeating us, uh, uh, you know, with guilt or shame or fear for that matter. Um, as a matter of fact, it's really good news. And that's why I'm glad he started that way. The beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news um, of Jesus Christ. And that's interesting, too, when you take those two words, Jesus and Christ. Jesus is his name. Uh, he's often called Jesus of Nazareth. And if ever a name was packed with powerful meaning, oh my goodness, the significance 
of the name Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus has been given the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. The Apostle Paul wrote that in Philippians chapter 2, verses um, uh, 9 and 10. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is the personal name, the self-revealed personal name of the God of the Bible. And this goes all the way back to the book of Exodus when Moses is being called by God to go back to Egypt and set God's people free to be sort of an agent of deliverance um, uh, on, for God and to set God's people free. But uh, Yah, when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush and Moses says, who shall I tell them sent me? Um, God says, Yahweh, tell them Yahweh sent you. I am who I am. And it it's such a powerful thing to see Jesus as the fulfillment of that name. That is, Yahweh, Jesus saves, um, is is simply saying God is salvation, and it's all wrapped up in this person, Jesus. See, even the, even the, the choice of his name um, uh, uh, speaks so clearly about why he came, the mission of Jesus in this world. The transliteration from Hebrew and Aramaic, the name Yeshua, Jesus, if you will, uh, is a combination of Yah, an abbreviation for Yahweh, uh, the name of Israel's God, and the verb yasha, yeshua, meaning rescue, deliver, or save. Now, it says here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's don't forget Christ there, because that's really important too. Christ is the Greek form of, in the Old Testament, you would have the word Messiah, um, and this would be the Hebrew version of the same word Christ in the New Testament. So it's God's anointed one. That's who Messiah uh, was going to, was predicted to be, God's anointed one. So Jesus, the Christ, and Christ is a title. It's not his last name. Like my last name is Thomas, um, but my title is, uh, oh, it's, it's husband it's pastor, those kinds of things, right? Those are titles. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, Yahweh saves, God saves, God is salvation. And then Christ, God's anointed one. And then Mark in verse one, and all of this is just in verse one, by the way. Again, if Mark's gospel is asking the question and answering it, who is Jesus? And then answering it. If Mark's gospel is saying, how should we respond to Jesus? And then answering it, um, the question we're going to get to by the end of verse 1 is, how do you respond to this person that has been revealed to you so richly, so deeply in verse 1? Jesus, the Christ, and then the Son of God. That means he's the unique uh, sui generis. That means one of a kind or um, um, the only one. He's the object of our faith. He's the, if he's the son of God, he's the second person of the Bible's self-revealed Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
Um, he's not just one among many founders of many world religions. He's not just another one of the same category. No, he's in a completely different category all to himself. Um, he's the author and perfecter of our faith, the writer of Hebrews would, la uh, would later say. Um, Mark, Mark is not shy about presenting Jesus to us just right up front in verse one like this. He's not timid at all. And make no mistake, he opens his gospel record up, stating it unequivocally, simply and clearly that Jesus is God's salvation sent to us, and he's God himself come in the flesh. You see, all of that is in verse one. So the answer to the question, who is Jesus, begins with the realization that he wasn't just another rabbi, not just another great religious leader, not just a moral figure or a soft-spoken, sandal-wearing sort of peacenik, um, not an inspirational speaker, not a hippie guru, social activist. Uh, is he? Does he do that? Does he have wisdom? Does he? Is he in, engaged in the the problems in the social world? Yes, but that's not his main mission. Jesus of Nazareth is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And he came on a mission to save us from our sin. Jesus had two natures, two, the, the one divine, Son of God, and the other, he was a human being. Mark holds these two natures of Jesus Christ by also giving us the most human portrait of Jesus, complete with emotions, um, passion, Righteous anger, loving concern and compassion, uh, bold claims to divine rights, spiritual powers no other person has ever shown uh, since then or before then. Um, uh, he's beleaguered by physical hunger and weariness. Um, he has people who reject him. He has people who abuse him. And so we see Jesus in his divinity and Jesus in his humanity. And at the end of verse one, and as we begin our study of Mark, who do you think Jesus is? What do you make of Jesus? Uh, or to put it the way that Jesus did himself, and we'll get there, who do you say I am? Uh, Jesus might be asking you that again as we go through Mark's gospel here. Um, I hope we'll all come to know Jesus better as we do this. I, I've been a Christian for a very long time myself. Uh, I walked the aisle in a, in a Baptist church in Compton, California, believe it or not, when I was five. Um, and every single time I read the New Testament, I learn something new or something in a different way about Jesus. Sometimes because uh, I've grown older and learned a little bit more about my need for Jesus. Other times because the Holy Spirit just opens my eyes to see something in scripture I didn't see before. Some familiar passage that all of a sudden it's it's lit up by the Holy Spirit. Um, and something I thought I had figured out and had sorted it uh, before. So I hope that you'll come to these uh, studies with me each and every day as we walk through Mark's gospel with an openness to hear from the scriptures and from the Lord. Let me close with uh, these three quotes as I was 
thinking about this one verse from Mark's gospel. Uh, these three quotes kind of jumped to mind, and I thought, you know, I've got to share these with the folks. G.K. Chesterton said the Romans, back in Jesus' time, the Romans were quite willing to admit that, G, that Christ was a god, little g-god. What they denied was that he was the god, the highest truth of the cosmos. And this is the only point worth discussing about Christianity. I think Chesterton was right about that. Not, Jesus is not just one among many. And see, in the Roman pantheon, they had many gods, just like the, the Greek empire before it had many different gods in their pantheon. Most of them um, assigned to some task in nature or something like the sun god, the god of the moon, the god of the harvest, the god of the rain or whatever. And uh, really just created by humanity to try to explain the, the, the movement of the physical world and the physical universe. Um, the Romans, again, quite willing to admit that he was one of those little g-gods, um, what they denied that he was the God. How do you see Jesus? Really good question for us to ask ourselves as we go through. Uh, William uh, Lane has a great commentary on the book of Hebrews, actually. He says this about Jesus. The exalted Son of God made the human condition and especially its liability to death his own in order to achieve for them the glorious destiny designed by God. All right, now let that sink in. Jesus made the human condition, especially its liability to death. Suffering, you could say lots of things, right? right? His, he made that his own in order to achieve for them, for human beings, the glorious destiny designed by God. Jesus came not just to be one among many, but to be the unique son of God, the savior of the world, to save sinners like me and like you. Do you, do you know him that way? Have you responded to him that way? And then lastly, C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. And I love it. We, got, we have a, a new uh, Sunday school class at the Village Chapel that started up and they're studying Mere Christianity to, together. If you're curious about that, uh, jump online at thevillagechapel.com and check it out. But uh, Mere Christianity, one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, Lewis says this in Mere Christianity, and it's a little bit of a lengthy quote. It'll be in the show notes. Um, now, the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which always existed and always will exist. Christ is the Son of God. Remember, we just learned that in Mark 1, verse 1. Lewis goes on, If we share in this kind of life, we also shall be sons of God. We shall love the Father as he does, and the Holy Ghost will arise in us, he came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. I love it. Well, I've got to let you go. Let me close in prayer. But first, those two questions again, and I hope you'll read ahead. Uh, we'll take about a dozen verses more from chapter one in the next episode. But uh, two questions. Who is Jesus? And how should you respond to Jesus? So God, thank you for Mark's gospel. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to study the word together here on Timeless Truth Podcast. Pray that you, Holy Spirit, <clears throat> would open our eyes, give us a clearer vision of your truth, 
a greater faith in your power, and a more confident assurance of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.